You're listening to episode 171 of Mid-America Reformed Seminary's Roundtable Podcast. In this broadcast, the faculty of Mid-America discuss theology and cultural issues from a Reformed perspective. I'm Jared Luchibor, Director of Marketing. Thank you for tuning in. Abuse is a painful and complex reality that affects many people in and outside the church. How can we as Christians respond to abuse in a way that honors God and brings healing and biblical justice to those who have been harmed? Well, in this episode, Reverend Danny Patterson and Reverend Andrew Compton will explore some of the principles and resources that can help churches prevent and respond to abuse. We're back with our episode of Roundtable here at Mid-America Reform Seminary. And uh, Reverend Danny Patterson and I have been talking through this question of, uh, of abuse in the church and how the church can respond. We Last time, we're, we're trying to just sketch the, the very basic contours of what do we do in recognizing abuse in the church? What do we need to be looking for? But, but at one point, even... Uh, Danny has said, you know, how often pastors are, are suddenly reeling once they hear allegations or once they start hearing hearing disclosures of abuse and they're going, oh, now what? And and sadly we can we can so easily vapor lock. Um what 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 are where where do we go from here? Assuming we've we've started to work through that slow process of looking for these patterns, now what? How how do we how do we as pastors, how do we help our, our elders, how do we help our congregants take these next steps now in actually responding to abuse in godly ways? Yeah, I guess we could go in a number of directions with this, but I, I think one of the first things that you need uh, to do is begin to, to raise awareness of this um, in your church. And we, uh, as a church over here in uh, Portland, engaged in what was called the Caring Well Challenge that was put together by, again, um, the uh, a committee of the Southern Baptist uh, Convention. And part of that challenge was gathering uh, what we called uh, a Caring Well team to begin to be trained to to uh, understand um abuse whether it's sexual abuse um we haven't really even dipped into that that much in our in the, the podcast so far but also uh you know how do we respond to a disclosure of domestic abuse how do we respond to a disclosure of sexual abuse and there's any number of good um curriculum and books um to 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 begin to make uh, your church more aware. But I think it has to start with addressing abuse from the pulpit uh, when the text calls for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, I think it's in Ecclesiastes, is it four? When um, when the writer of Ecclesiastes, whoever you think that was, um, <laughs> says- and, um, The Old Testament I, questions are out. Right. <laughs> um, uh, you know, when the writer of Ecclesiastes, and, and maybe I can just find that really quick because I don't want to, I, I don't want to misquote it, um, but but I think it's, uh, it, it's important. When the, when the writer of Ecclesiastes in chapter four says uh, this, again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun and behold the tears of the oppressed and they had no one to comfort them. 
On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. Mm. And so when you come to a passage like that as a pastor, if you are, if your heart and mind are attuned to wanting to raise awareness in your church about abuse, abuse is, uh, Darby Strickland says, and I agree that probably the closest biblical word to abuse is oppression. Yeah. Right. And then you can use a passage like this. And by the way, the, you know, we're told that the writer of Ecclesiastes is the son of David, a king in Jerusalem. So where is he seeing all of these oppressions? I mean, if I can put it simplistically in the church. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The church of the um, old covenant. Right. And, and, and that there are those who are using their positions um, in the church right, um, in Israel to dominate and control other people. And, and I mean, if I can even interrupt, I mean, what you, I just recently preached for Samuel 2, Hophni and Phinehas. Or, right. Uh, yeah, Hophni and Phinehas. Right here is, you mentioned the, the habitual elements. I mean, it talks right. about the custom of the priests. There's, there's right. a pun there because it says justice, but actually they're, their justice slash custom was actually highly un, uh, unjust, but I, the, and the the text stresses the all of what they were doing when people would come to the tabernacle, how they would steal portions by force, and then they're even sleeping with the women who serve at the tabernacle. Right. I mean, this is classic. And again, to mention, Israel is not just a political entity; it's the Church of the Old Covenant. These are clergy, as it were. explicitly as priests and also as just part of the larger structure of Israel using their office to lord it over people, to get their way, to threaten them with violence. Give us the meat, they say, or we'll take it by force. We don't know what the dynamic looked like with those serving women, but these are women coming to give of themselves. And now the priest, this, this authority figure may even be saying, oh, this is this is how you can serve. You know, come with me to bed. Right. Again, I don't want to speculate on the dynamics there, but but absolutely right. I'm glad you bring this up. There are if there are passages like this that have so many parallels with right. things we've seen in today's situation. Right. And and we if you look throughout Israel's history, the I mean even Rehoboam when he is um, consulting with the older men and the younger men about how he's going to relate to the people of Israel. He asks the older men, um, his father's wise counselors, and they say, go easy on the people. You're, you know, your father's hand was pretty heavy. Go easy on them and you'll you'll win their love and devotion. And he consults with the younger men and they say, no, go hard. Mm. Um, <laughs> um, and he takes the advice of the the younger men and and he essentially says, I, I'm going to mistreat you. Um, I'm going to use my authority as as king um, for my own well-being, my own self-advancement. Um, and I'm going to use you to get my world the way that I wanted. Um, but, but I think it's important, again, sorry, to, to go back to what the question was. 
you know, when the text allows it, we don't want to do eisegesis and read everything correct, into correct. A, a text, correct? Um, but when the text allows it, like Rehoboam, like Hophni and Phineas, like Ecclesiastes, as the writer struggles through all, all the mistreatment that is going on, and there are people who are who are in tears because of oppression, and no one is helping them. Hmm. We should be able to say as a church um, that that we want to be able to help the tears of the oppressed, to dry the tears of the oppressed, or to come alongside of those who have been mistreated by by others. So raising awareness in the church, I think, is a very important thing. And, and then taking action from raising awareness, uh, take a group of, you know, leaders in the church along with individuals who might work in law enforcement or social work or um who is who who um perhaps a lawyer that knows and works with uh you know health and family services um and and put together a team that can be trained to know how to respond in situations where domestic abuse arises in the church. I'm a big advocate of two things in churches, um, and that is that that a church develops some sort of domestic abuse policy um, and procedure so that the church has a stated stance on domestic abuse and the ways that it is going to go about responding uh, to domestic abuse. And that might include a theological statement on uh, on domestic abuse, um, the biblical, and maybe even if you want to go further, the biblical and confessional uh, basis for understanding abuse, and, and then how the church is going to go about responding to it. And, and, and this way, when leaders uh, in the church are confronted with that, they are not caught off guard. Um, they're prepared. The second would be, um, and not to go too long, sorry. Uh, the second would be a child safety policy. Yeah. Um, in fact, as part of our course, as part of the syllabus for the class that we just had in January, the students were required to put together a child safety or a child protection policy for their church um, and present that as part of a uh, a church uh, a, a class requirement or a course requirement. Um, this helps them going into ministry to have something at least preliminarily in place and in their own mind about how they are going to protect the most vulnerable among us from those who would seek to um, abuse our, our children because the Lord has given us our children as stewards and the church. Uh, and it's not simply parents that are called to protect them. Uh, when they are in the care of the church, it's the church's responsibility uh, to protect them as well. Again, the, we, we could get into we could get into details about how you should respond to a specific disclosure of abuse, but really stepping back from a broader level um, uh, and, and widening our lens, it is so important for a church to be proactive in these matters so that they in some ways have the way forward um, laid out for them generally so that everybody knows how the church is going to respond. And actually, the leaders of the church 
are held accountable to respond according to the policies and procedures that they've laid out. It's amazing, too, the effect that a statement, public speech, like you say, sermon application, but but public presentation of these statements, it's amazing the effect that has on outreach even. Mm. A church that takes seriously the the work of caring for those who have been oppressed, abused, wronged, uh, is is a significant, uh, significantly winsome stance that people who are living in a thrashed world with a thrashed worldview and know there's something wrong with their own with with the the oppression they're facing, but know their worldview has a hard time of making sense of that suddenly hears the church proclaiming a God who is just and holy and who will who will right every wrong and is now uh, requiring that his his ministers bring that message uh, of of his holiness and his righteousness um, to his people. I, I, it's a powerful um, element of outreach. And, and I think we can sometimes in the church fear that we are airing our dirty laundry, as it's said. And, and the, the exact opposite is true. You know, in, in these kinds of stances, the church is showing what a significant prophetic voice it has into our day today. Absolutely. And, and you know, in our first episode, we talked and you had mentioned the Me Too movement um, and various movements um, that are that are sort of uh, washing over our culture today r- regarding um, abuse and oppression. And, you know, I think it's important to say because we use words in abuse advocacy and e- even even in the, in the church when we talk about abuse, we use words like power and oppression and justice, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and uh, there is a temptation within the church to hear those words and to say, oh, no, the – and I don't like this term, but I'm going to use it because people use it all the time. Um, oh, no, the woke culture. I knew you were going to say that. Is is infiltrating yep. the church, right? Or 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 there's a third wave feminism that is infiltrating the church. When we talk about equity, when we talk about justice, when we talk about power, oppression, oppression, yep. and when we talk about power, um, we you know people will will automatically go to oh no, is critical theory invading the church? Yeah. And um and, and and the church needs to constantly be aware of the movements in our culture um, that can uh, do damage in the church. Yet yet the church's response to abuse is part and parcel of the church's responsibility to protect the flock of God. Um, Justice, power, oppression, all of those things are perfectly good words. Um, They're found in the scriptures. And to define them biblically um, is to uh, is is what is most important, so that we understand um, that this is a kingdom-driven movement for the church. It's not a cultural-driven movement uh, for the church. This is the heart of Jesus. Is I am gentle and lowly, and you will find rest for your souls. That is. 
that is antithetical to the abuse of heart, right? Jesus is the one, again, going back to Philippians 2, who didn't use equality with God, something to be used to his advantage. He did not, if I can put it this way, he did not abuse his equality with God, um, yet he he powered under, if we can put it that way in loving sacrificial service to others and and so which is again the ministry of jesus is again antithetical to the abusive heart which says no well let me put it this way the, the gospel claims and jesus claims my life for yours that that is the gospel my life for yours an abusive heart says, no, your life for mine. Mm. You mm. exist for me. And I will do everything I can to get my world just the way that I want it. And everything that you are, all the gifts that you have, everything that you bring to the table is for my consumption and my advancement. That is the heart of abuse. Whereas Jesus comes and says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve yeah. and to give my life as a, a ransom uh, for many. In that sense, abuse is anti-gospel yeah. <laughs> um, in, in the most uh, – <clears throat> in, the, in the strictest sense. And so that, again, is what we want to be aware of in the church. I mean – Whatever movements are going on in the culture, the heart of God uh, in the gospel is one of my life for years. And we could go any direction with that and talking yeah. about what loving headship looks like. <laughs> it's divorce, not about how divorce and abuse. Are, there's a lot of topics we haven't even been right. able to touch on. Right. So anyway, I, I think it, sort of ending maybe how we began talking about, you know, the the movements and the culture, the Me Too movement and so forth. We need to remember that the church is what is what we see good in the church happening here. It would be cynical of us, I think, to say, well, this is just woke uh, invading yeah. the church. God's heart is for the most vulnerable in our churches, so that Psalm 84 says, you know, give justice to the weak and the fatherless and maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and 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 I'm glad you bring that up, too, because that what, what can often happen in these discussions of of critical theory and it's it's being used is that because our Twitter, social media thinking in tweet length bites society frames the discussions that way there's no way to say critical theory is causing harm to victims uh i would you know i would argue that i would say as the church if we want to enter into that discussion we say look the a big problem here is that critical theory is actually causing harm at the end of the day to victims we have a better way to ministering uh, God's truth, pushing back against these evil powers that are imposing themselves on victims. I mean, I'm, where, where I'm just going is that the discussion needs to be framed that way. And I'm convinced we're right to push back on some of these new formulations. Sure. But we can't concede the 
what is at the center of it, the, the call to bring relief to those oppressed and, and to proclaim the truth about our Lord. The, again, the gentle and lowly one. Abuse is telling a false story. It's a heresy. It's like an acted out heresy. Um, but, but our duty is to, uh, is to proclaim that, that, that truth of the gospel, both in our preaching, in our theological formulation, and in our praxis as it relates to all this. Right. And I, you know, maybe one final word too about, you know, to, to pastors, don't try and go at this alone. Yeah. We need to be willing as ministers to be able to say, we need help. There's wisdom in the counsel of many. There are those who have gone before us in these matters who can bring insight and wisdom to our situation. Let's consult with them. Let's talk with them. There are organizations out there that can help, and we're not bound to agree with everything that they say or every way that they go about things. But it is not a bad thing to say, let's get some insight from someone else on this. Let's get some help. And and then as a, a church, when you work with a team as a pastor, then the burden is carried by many instead of just one. We're thankful for Reverend Danny Patterson for taking time out of his schedule to visit with us and teach our students on this pertinent subject and for taking time to dialogue with Reverend Andrew Compton about it as well. If there's more you'd like to learn about regarding abuse and the church, feel free to contact me at jluchibor at midamerica.edu, offer feedback, ask questions, and we'll certainly take them into account and plan future episodes on them alongside Reverend Patterson. You can find my email and other contact information at midamerica.edu slash podcasts. Next week, Reverend Paul Ipema, our new professor of ministerial studies, joins us behind the microphone to offer some insight into family visitations conducted by pastors and elders. For more podcast episodes, you can find us on our website at midamerica.edu slash podcasts. And of course, wherever you listen to your favorite shows, be sure to search for and subscribe to Mid-America Reformed Seminaries Roundtable. I'm Jared Luchibor. Till next time.